Welcome to Driving Theology. This is Mike, and we are listening to none other than Van Morrison. Don't ask me why. Because uh, I'll tell you. <laughs> uh, I don't know why. This is something that the guy who owned this car before me listened to. It's in the CD, or the uh, hard drive. It's actually pretty good. I've never really listened to Van Morrison aside for a, you know, a couple of tunes I've heard over the years. Um, but did a little reading and yeah, kind of an interesting story. Um, Van Morrison, check it out. Definitely a unique voice, and uh, if you think about it, a pretty uniquely simple but very tasty sound. Uh, to his band, so yeah, yeah, good stuff. But I'm gonna stop it now and uh, maybe get on something a bit more theological. Cool, 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 cool. Uh, yeah, so welcome back to Driving Theology. This is Mike, and uh, it's the afternoon. I don't usually, uh, it's just afternoon actually, it's what a little after one. I don't usually record this late, but uh, this time of year I only have half of my duties at uh at the uh, place that I go teach on Wednesdays, and so I don't leave until this time. Uh, I don't have my morning classes, just the afternoon. So it'll be a nice short day, and then I've uh, my Wednesdays are off for the for the next month, which is nice. So my uh, summer break, when I get into it, I get go to kind of a half or even quarter schedule of classes for the month, more or less. Uh, when I have classes, I do have a couple weeks off as well, but uh, we do a lot. We try to do a lot with that time. Uh, we've got some camps coming up that we're going to, uh, well, I say camps, I guess I mean a camp that we're going to put on for our English uh, elementary school students this starting Sunday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. And... Uh, yeah, so that's coming up, and uh, probably some summer, you know, vacation time with the family, and hopefully some beach and, and uh, kayaking and rafting and all that stuff is kind of ramping up. And uh, yeah, that'll be going on here in the near future. So, um, yeah, so here we are. It's been a good day. I uh, woke up, got to bed early last night. Woke up early. I think I read almost 70 pages of uh, the crucifixion of the warrior god or crucifixion of the warrior god by Greg Boyd that I've been reading today and I, I think I've put in at least 100 pages this week so uh, somewhere around 270 now kind of starting to rock and roll on that thing he's 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 really uh, picking up some good momentum and making some great points and and uh, I feel like I'm learning a lot not just about his view, but about the history of Christianity and how Christianity has has uh, viewed God differently, both as violent by some, but as decidedly nonviolent by others. And usually, the ones who considered God a nonviolent God and considered violence by humans to be sinful in all cases uh, are the minority. Um, the majority of people have 
in one way or another decided to justify violence by saying that God condones violence in certain situations uh, and so that if we are violent like God is in those situations that we are doing uh, God's will and God's work uh, even even as we uh, kill people and of course the other side says well hold on you know Jesus came along and he said love your enemies uh, and Paul said don't return evil for evil but return good for evil right um, so there's something going on there, there's there's a big argument going on uh, in one sense between the Old Testament writers and the New Testament writers uh, and for whatever reason much of Christendom has taken the side of the Old Testament when it comes to uh, justifying violence as opposed to Jesus and course to do so they've had to do some theological acrobatics to justify uh, to justify the idea of holy war or righteous war uh, today um, in my view this stems from a few different things uh, first of all it stems from a, a uh, hyper patriotism or even nationalism uh, in other words um, one of the things we do uh, when we belong to a country uh, is, of course, we want to live our life in a way that benefits that country and progresses the agenda of that country. Uh, and that's, that's basically patriotism, you know, the idea that, uh, that we belong to a country and which should do our best to protect, defend, and promote said country. Um, some countries are more patriotic than others. Uh, but what, what, what to me, what nationalism is, is where a country says, our country is better than all other countries. Um, that our need, the needs of our country outweighs the needs of other countries. That, that we have a, a patriotic right to be, self, to, to, to be selfish, really to put our country's needs above other countries and other, other humans. Um, and uh, that, to me, is what distinguishes nationalism from, from patriotism. Uh, a promotion of one's country at the cost of all others. Um, and that, to me, that's, that's what we see the rise of uh, I'd say with, uh, you know, Assyria and, and Babylon and Greece, uh, and Persia and Rome and, and, uh, and then, the, you know, the Holy Roman Empire. And then, uh, of course, uh, in the Age of Discovery, uh, we call it, with the uh, uh, Spain and Portugal and France and the Dutch and especially with the English. And now, uh, America, we see uh, the rise of empire, and that basically nationalism says that our country, for whatever reason, has the right to rule other countries. And this is nationalism, I think, to the next step, right? Um, it's, it says that not only is my country better than yours, uh, but my country has some kind of a right to rule yours. We, we are 
in some way superior to you, therefore we are going to rule you. Um, and that's the idea of empire. Uh, there has been kind of a, an American empire. Now I say, I say kind of because I think a lot of people who are in empire are blinded to the reality of that. And, and I think many Americans are blinded to the, to the fact that America has had an empire since probably at least, um, well, I mean, <laughs> the establishment of America as a country was always empire, whether it was the British Empire coming and taking over the New World along with the, you know, the Spaniards and the Portuguese and everybody else. Uh, and then America got its independence uh, and then started uh, conquering the rest of uh, um, America, the rest of, of North America. Um, now, we, now what we say is we purchased it, right? Well, we purchased, we purchased the land from the from the French, you know, the Louisiana Purchase, and then we we uh, we liberated, uh, you know, the the West Coast and the Southwest from from the Mexicans, maybe in the Spanish-American War, whatever. Uh, not from the Mexicans, from the Spanish. So, you know, we call it other things, but the idea of manifest destiny—that for some reason America had a right to push its borders from the East Coast to the West Coast. Um, was was you know massed empire. It was nothing more than empire. We wanted more land. We wanted to rule more. We wanted, wanted more resources. Uh, and the people that suffered from that are the Native Americans. And uh, and I, I lived um, among uh, the Navajo um, people, not actually on the reservation, but just outside the reservation for about five years and. And I now have members of my family who are Navajo, as well as uh, many friends and and uh, people who I know. Uh, and I went to junior high and high school in Gallup, New Mexico, which is, and I, I'd be surprised if it wasn't half Navajo. I'm not sure exactly, but my school was about half or more than half Navajo Indian. And uh, I think probably a quarter uh, Hispanic. Uh, and then other, and I was in the other. Um, so I kind of ha have seen what empire has done to this once uh, proud and um, thriving people. Uh, and you know, a lot of a lot of a lot of us Americans are in denial about the cost of empire, the cost that em the, the toll that empire took on. Uh, the First Nations peoples, um, but it's it's pretty obvious. I think it would take an idiot uh, or just somebody that's completely delusional uh, to deny that empire was not only was it not kind to the people of the First Nations, uh, it was genocidal. Um, and so em empire always, there's always a cost. Somebody always pays the cost of empire. And somebody always benefits. But generally the people who benefit are the ones in power and they are, they are a minority, uh, oftentimes. Um, and, and they um, use other sections of people to, to build empire and then 
there are those people who are swept aside in the expansion of the Empire. But anyway, uh, I'm totally getting off track here. Um, man, where did I start? I don't remember where this rabbit hole opened up at. Anyway, uh, Empire. Why was I talking about Empire? <laughs> I've totally gotten lost. What a tangent that was. Um, so, yeah, I, I think... Okay, well, I'm just going to have to take it here, and, and maybe I'll, I'll figure out where I was. I think I usually do. So today, uh, Empire still exists, and now Empire, we call it uh, the promotion of democracy or, or whatever. But basically, it's America, right? The Empire is... Uh, is the U.S., uh, and I'd say maybe along with uh, the British and maybe a few other nations, and actually Japan is probably part of that uh, that empire today, but uh, there's an empire of people who says our, our ideology is superior to everyone else and the rest of the world should uh, take note and follow uh, and not oppose us, and if they do, be forewarned, we will use violence. And so, thinking and allowing God to be a, a warrior God is what has always given fuel to empire. So depending on who your God was. So people have, have taken the idea of Jesus, but created their own warrior God out of Jesus uh, with the purpose of justifying their their holy wars. Uh, and that's kind of what's going on now with that. So, um, yeah, the idea that God is is a killer or is violent uh, is something that, that um, most Christians would say, yes, God, God does have a violent side. Uh, we should fear him because if we don't, uh, he may strike at any moment and punish us for our sins. So anyway, that's that's what this book uh, by Boyd is covering, and it's a it's a wonderful book. Um, I'm enjoying it. I'm learning a lot, um, and I can't wait to be able to discuss it with people. The problem is, it's it's over a thousand pages, and it's going to just take a while to get through. I think I'm, I hope I'm about a quarter of the way through. Um, but I don't. I haven't seen the other volume yet, so I'm not sure quite how long that is. So we'll we'll we'll, we'll have to see just how far I've gotten. But anyway, uh, yeah, that that's that's something. And, and today, what I see uh, Christians doing, okay, this is I think where I was trying to get to, is that by by creating a warrior god out of Jesus they have allowed themselves to maintain their nationalistic uh, proclivities uh, and push, uh, push ahead the agenda of the American empire, uh, all the while using Jesus as some kind of a just justification for doing that, right? So in order to in order to basically do what people want to do even though they know they shouldn't do it they they create this god that says 
uh, yeah, that's okay, I condone it. Uh, in fact, I'll fight with you and for you. And so America today has created their own, their own God um, who supports their agenda. And it's not the true Jesus. Uh, and I think that's one of the places that Boyd is getting to. And so in, in America, what we see today is evangelicalism has saddled itself uh, or lashed itself to the, the empirical uh, machine. Uh, and that creates a load of problems. A load of problems uh, when trying to uh, also say at the same time that Jesus is love. You know, that God is love, that Jesus says, love your enemies. But Jesus is okay with America hating its enemies. That's okay. That's justified. But you should love your enemies. Okay? And so American Christians witness, if, if they uh, try to justify the position of the American Empire, uh, is totally compromised. Right? Totally compromised. Uh, and of course, we've seen this in the recent elections, and I don't want to get into that, but it's, it's a shame, uh, and it's sad, and it's, it's, it's having an effect, okay? It's having an effect in churches everywhere. Uh, and this is something that came up, uh, I want to say yesterday, on, on a, a guy who I know who was a, a missionary in China for a while, Anyway, on his Facebook page, he uh, put a link to an article that basically talks about what, what people call the, the, the duns, uh, or the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, or D-O-N-E-S, people who are done with, with church, who have left church, uh, and who are pursuing Jesus outside of traditional or institutional church, and, and I fall into that category. Uh, but um, actually what it did was was it very very cleverly uh, made people think that those those people are the kind of people who say well I have my own religion I worship God in my own way uh, I it, I don't need church I don't need community I just uh, you know I uh, yeah I worship God in my own way I see God in the sunsets, it was quoted as saying, uh, that, that basically these are people who, who have a some kind of their own brand of spirituality that really has nothing to do with Jesus um, and who have no theological background. And so, of course, I, I thought that was a very simplistic way of talking about the duns, the people who are done with religion, who have walked out of institutional church but continue to grow in and love Jesus in community with others, uh, just not inside of organized religion. And so I thought it was ridiculous to, to lump all those people together. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's not what's happening at all from my standpoint. Uh, I see something much more complex uh, where, where very intelligent and bright, uh, positive people are are going out of institutional church on a positive.
positive note. You know, they're, they're seeking something greater and better. And for whatever reason, institutional church has become an obstacle to that. Now, everybody's not there, and I realize that, and I, and I appreciate that, you know. Uh, I don't want to say that everybody should necessarily go down the road that I've chosen to go down. But to just, you know, try to simplify, or, or, or sorry, not simplify, but make these people who have walked out of church into simpletons, into, into uh, you know, uh, yoga-practicing hippies, um, it's just ridiculous. There's something else going on. And one of the reasons it is going on is because uh, institutional church refuses to have any kind of reflection. It has no checks and balances. Uh, so when people walk out, it puts the blame squarely on the people who are leaving uh, as opposed to looking at itself and trying to figure out if there's something disingenuine with the, uh, what I call church ink machinery, which is sort of like empire. Uh, it's, it's a big machine that marginalizes some uh, and, and uh, justifies others. Um, and so this, this lack of self-reflection and in institutional church will be its downfall people who are walking out, I believe, many of them, and I believe this of myself, have been led by the Spirit to do so. And we have not left Jesus nor his body. We have simply, we have simply left the institution, right? This, this machinery that says we have to be at a certain place and sing certain songs and pray a certain way and believe a certain theology uh, and pay a certain amount of money uh, and spend a certain amount of time uh, to please God. And some of us have said, well, we don't see a lot of Jesus in the institutional church. And if that's the case, why is that? And many of us spent years searching for Jesus in the institutional church. Myself was uh, 18, I would say 18 years, at least 15 years, seriously trying and working uh, as a, um, you know, a, a teacher and a leader and a worship leader and then a sometimes preacher, uh, trying to, to have more of Jesus in the service and just finding that, you know, when you've got a whole group of people and yet only one person sees anything wrong, uh, it's just it's just torturous, tortuous for that person. Uh, and now it wasn't it wasn't horrible for that whole fifteen years, but there comes a point when you realize you've been rolling this rolling this boulder up the mountain, and all you can see is more and more mountain in front of you all the time. And you see nobody giving you any help rolling this thing up. And you know that if you walk off, that boulder is going to roll back down. Right? Uh, in other words, that nobody cares about your fight. Nobody cares about the struggle that you're doing. 
people have their own agendas and their own their own things that they worry about and perhaps some of those are spirit-led you know perhaps it's 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 never been meant for one person to have to to force their agenda on a whole you know a whole whole bunch of people and so I finally realized that um, and I think I took you know part of my my reasons from the parable of the, of the wineskins uh, and the, the, the old and new cloth on the garment uh, was that you know I was trying to put new wine into old wineskins and I realized that if I just kept pushing something was gonna break something was gonna burst uh, and so I decided that it was all in God's hands anyway and that I was not going to push anymore I wasn't going to you know try to force some kind of agenda that I, that I thought was awesome on other people and yet I felt like I couldn't stay either uh, that perhaps it was time to start making people do what I wanted them to do and let them follow what they wanted to do but allow myself to, to pursue the spirit in the ways that he was calling me. And I actually had made this decision many years before I actually did it, right? Before before we we walked out, uh, it, was, it was many years that I had been hinting and talking about this to people. Uh, but it took a long time to first get the courage and, and to also kind of have what I felt like was a mandate. Uh, other people who were supporting me and thinking the way I was. I, I know I didn't want to do it alone and when, when my wife finally agreed I realized that she was the partner that I had been seeking and that and that was good enough and so we you know we eventually walked out of institutional church and we haven't returned uh, in what's going to be in about three months uh, four years now it doesn't mean we haven't gone to services here and there we have uh, but we almost never do I'd say might go, I don't know, three or four times a year, um, just to see people and touch base. And it's not that we didn't love the people that we worshiped with. And yeah, so we've been pursuing, pursuing the Lord outside of traditional church and, and we've continued to receive God's blessings in doing so. There's been some ups and there's been some downs. Um, but one thing I can tell you is that I have grown closer to Jesus in these four years and learned more about him. And, and, and my relationship has grown stronger than all the years before combined. Uh, these four years have been amazing. much more contemplation um, much more of much more of a lot of stuff I guess the way I would say that um, but at any rate here we are and uh, so yeah um, so of course I responded and said you know well that's you know I think he's oversimplifying things I think there there are a lot of good people who are walking in church and that traditional church what I call church ink needs to needs to do some serious reflection uh, and, and figure out what they can do 
more genuine, to be more Christ-like. And one of the things I can, I think they have to do, and I know there's a church or two that have done this, they need to separate themselves from the American empire. They need to stop justifying the acts of America using God. Leave God out of it. Uh, God is not a killer. God does not condone war. God is a love your enemy. Uh, forgive those who wrong you to the point of death type of God. That's who he is. And the cross is central to understanding who God is. And that's all God is. Uh, so, yeah. Man, I, I really hope that, that, that pastors and churches will have the courage to speak this truth to their congregations. That you can be patriotic for the, for the ideals of your country that mesh with Jesus. But don't think you have to support when your country does things that are against Jesus. Don't think that you can just sit there and say, you know, uh, well, let's find a verse to, to make that okay, you know. Um, it's not good. And nobody's fooled, except the people who are involved. You look around the world, nobody's fooled. Nobody's fooled it. Um, they don't, no, no one thinks that America is an agent for good. You know, that's not something that people are seeing out there. They understand that America's out for its own agenda, that America's out for, for promoting itself and its own ideals. It's not the first empire to exist, right? We're not some kind of Robin Hood in the world. Much more like, uh, what was it? Was it King Richard? No, Richard was a good one. I think it was King John. But anyway, the Robin Hood story. Uh, or maybe even the Sheriff of Nottingham. But at any rate, um, the witness that it sends, that it is sending to the world, uh, is not a good one. It's not one that glorifies Christ. Um, so, churches are divided. We've got one foot, one foot in the church and one foot in the country. Jesus does not need to compromise to fit within the agenda and ideals of America. But Americans should seriously consider conforming to the image of Jesus. And if you want to know what that image is, look no further than the cross. Uh... So I guess I'm done pontificating and uh, preaching for today. Uh, I'll be at my place of work in just a few minutes and this will be probably a shorter one than usual. But 
yeah i'm just gonna leave it there and i'm not sure what to make of this podcast hopefully there was some good stuff in there that you guys can use and uh you guys have a wonderful day bye-bye